Hello, listening friend. Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. All of us want to be used by God to accomplish His work in the world. How does God use us? He works in us all His good pleasure by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a triple work that the Holy Spirit does through Christian men and women in the world. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. In just a moment, I will bring a message entitled, The Convicting Facts, from John chapter 16. I know you will be encouraged by Jesus' words in this wonderful passage. Listen to the music, and then we'll be back with the message from God's Word. Our scripture reading today is John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it unto you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it unto you. I want us to begin by looking at an ancient prayer for the fourth Sunday after Easter. 
Not only is this prayer beautifully crafted, but it conveys much scriptural and theological weight and substance in just a few words. O Almighty God, who alone can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men, grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which you command and desire that which you promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. With these few words, the godly genius of Thomas Cranmer produced what one scholar calls a masterpiece of pure, perfect, prayed theology. In this prayer, Cranmer is asking God to help us love what he commands and desire to live according to his promises. Think about that for a moment. We are asking God to help us love what we are required to do. The vision here is for God's people to obey God's commands, not out of compulsion or constraint, not out of grudging obedience, but out of spontaneous desire flowing from within. Instead of I ought or I should, the Christian life becomes I want, I desire to please my Heavenly Father. I long to love and serve Jesus with all my being. Can you feel the difference in attitude, atmosphere, and spirit? A long-faced I should, I have to becomes a joyful I want, I long to love and please my King. Obedience to God flows from a place of freedom and gladness within. This is the difference between Eric Little and Harold Abrahams in the classic film Chariots of Fire. The story is about two Olympic runners, Eric Little, a devoted follower of Jesus, and Harold Abrams, a determined athlete. Harold is compulsively driven to win a gold medal and will stop at nothing to attain his goal. Eric Little joyfully exclaims, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. And when Little ran, it was literally with joy in every stride. He would throw back his head and a great smile crossed his face as he blew past every runner and consistently won each race, including the Olympic gold medal. Harold Abrams, by contrast, approached running with obligation and obsession. He was consumed, driven by the I ought and I must of personal ambition. In a moving scene towards the end of the film, Abrams is only one hour away from the start of his race. He says to his devoted friend, Aubrey, I'm 24 years old and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Little ran with desire and freedom because he knew God had made him fast, and when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. Abrams ran with compulsion and anxiety because he had no inner freedom and joy. So how do we move from I ought and I must 
to I love and I desire. We cannot move from constraint and obligation to love and desire unless God supernaturally expresses his life through us. That is why Cranmer affirms that only Almighty God can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men. How does God do this? He does it by the Holy Spirit through Christian men and women in the world. Look at our Gospel reading in John chapter 16. Jesus says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What is Jesus saying here? He is underscoring the triple work that the Holy Spirit does through Christian men and women in the world. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Let's look at each of these in turn. Notice that the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict a person of sin. In order to be in a relationship with God, we must first realize the disease of sin that has infected our minds, souls, and spirits. We can't understand the importance of the cross of Christ until we first understand the seriousness of sin. Every teaching that has led men away from Jesus Christ and his cross has a defective notion of sin and a defective realization of sin. If I don't feel like I am a sinful man who needs redemption, who needs to be reconciled to God because of my sin, then I won't understand what Christianity is all about. Christianity isn't a beautiful expression of ethics or a guide to a positive life. It is the power of God to rescue lost sinners and heal them of the disease of sin. Jesus Christ is not a wise teacher, example, or prophet. He is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Man is lost and perishing and needs a Savior. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for sin. He is our Savior and He is our hope. The people of the world must be convicted and convinced of the terrible power of sin as the first step to getting healed from the disease of sin and becoming part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus clarifies in verse 9 what is the very worst of all the sins. He says, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What is the very worst sin? To steal? To lie? To commit murder or adultery? No, the very worst sin is not to believe upon Jesus Christ the Lord. In almost every chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus hammers home this truth. John chapter 3, whoever believes in God's only begotten Son will be saved. John chapter 5, he who believes has eternal life and has passed out of death into life. John chapter 6, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. But I say to you, scribes and Pharisees, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. John chapter 7, 
Not even Christ's relatives were believing in him. John chapter 8, you do not know me, nor my Father in heaven. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Why is the greatest sin in all the world the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ? Because when we turn away from Jesus, we are turning away from the most beautiful, good, and perfect revelation of God that has ever come to man. Unbelief rejects this revelation. Anything else? Yes, to reject Jesus means to turn away from the most beautiful, good, and perfect human life that ever was lived. Jesus himself is a miracle of self-sacrificing love. He endured the cross for his enemies. He embraced agony and shame for the sake of those who killed him. There is no greater love. So what does it mean when a man or woman turns away from the most beautiful, good, and perfect revelation of God and the most beautiful, good, and perfect human life ever lived? It means that such a person is blind to the light and truth of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is always shining full in the face of Jesus Christ the Lord. But men and women love darkness rather than light, so they refuse to believe. Some of you may be saying, I don't need the offer of pardon because I'm not troubled by my sin. I'm not interested in your offer of perfect purity and righteousness because I'm doing pretty well just the way I am. And I'm not really interested in the offer of heaven and eternal life because my life is going just fine in the here and now. If that is your thinking, then I say with great sadness that you are of all men most to be pitied, because you are blind to your true need. Your true need is for God, and if you are blind to that fact, then the gospel will have no attraction for you. But if in the middle of the night, when you are alone faced with yourself, you realize that you are tired of living for yourself and making self the center of existence, then Jesus has something wonderful to offer you. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. The definition of sin is living to myself and making myself the center of life. The definition of faith is making Christ your center and living your life for Him. 
So the first convicting fact is consciousness of sin. Then the second convicting fact is the righteousness of God. Jesus says in verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. It is the resurrection and ascension of Jesus that is the basis of the world's righteousness. What Jesus is saying is that in the future, when you go out to preach the gospel in my name, I will be in heaven with the Father, having finished the work for which he sent me. Therefore, you will convince the world of righteousness. Look at this very simply. Because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the heavenly Father, he proved that he is the ideal righteous man. And because he completely obeyed God, his Father, he is able to communicate his righteousness to sinful man. If Jesus is still lying dead in a grave in Jerusalem, then he is little better than the beautiful holy souls who have walked the pages of history. He may be a great saint, a holy prophet, or a wonderful example of purity and righteousness. But if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, then he is exalted above all others, and to him belongs the prerogative of imparting his divine nature and his character to those who love him. If Christ is risen and alive forevermore, then I can be convicted of my sin and come to him to receive from him forgiveness and perfect righteousness. The spirit of life in Jesus Christ does set us free from the law of sin and death within us. Because Christ is risen, his righteousness overtakes the disease of sin and heals us. His righteousness becomes our righteousness and we are found in him without spot and blameless, clothed in his own white garment of purity. Then finally, notice the judgment of the prince of this world is a demonstration of the final judgment of God. Jesus says in verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This world has a prince who rules over all who are ungodly. Satan is alive and well and doing his dastardly business over all the earth. But in the cross, Jesus triumphed over Satan and his demons. Colossians chapter 2 says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through his cross. Satan wrecks havoc upon the world, but he is a defeated foe. A day is coming when Satan will finally and fully be judged by God. He was judged once when Jesus Christ died upon the cross. When he comes again as king, Jesus will sit on the great white throne of judgment and pronounce final judgment upon Satan and all his evil minions. The thought of final judgment ought to be a hope and an encouragement to all who love and follow Jesus. Are you glad that God will hold Satan and all evildoers to account? Do you rejoice that righteousness will one day conquer and defeat all sin throughout the world? Satan deceives and lies and works evil in every country on the earth. 
But the day is coming when he will receive his final judgment and condemnation and be punished in hell. So here are the questions which Jesus Christ sent all his servants to ask. Have you loathed your sin? Have you repented of all sin, voluntary and involuntary, conscious or unconscious? Have you opened your heart to the righteousness and purity of Christ? Are you clothed in Christ's righteousness because you have trusted in him for salvation? If you have, then when all other men's hearts are failing and trembling with fear because they see the face of him who sits on the throne of judgment, you will be safe from the wrath of Almighty God. You will lift up your head with joy because your redemption draws near. So let's review. Jesus has given the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Those who love and follow Jesus have the joy of proclaiming his truth to all the people of the world so that all may hear and believe. The three convicting facts the Holy Spirit communicates through his people are the conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. How does God do this? We read in James 1.18, By his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The Holy Spirit of God uses the living word of God to reveal the mind and heart of God so that you will know and love the will of God. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit of God uses the living Word of God to reveal the mind and heart of God so that you will know and love the will of God. It is the Holy Spirit who brings us to Christ because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. He takes the living words of Holy Scripture and brings them to life in our thinking and experience. He takes Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9, And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of this truth the Holy Spirit takes and presents to our intellect that the Lord Jesus may be revealed through his living word to us. The Bible is not simply a book with words in it. It is supernatural revelation. It is alive and pulsing with the Holy Spirit of truth. In our own strength and by our own unaided intellect, we are helpless to know God. We cannot understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, For the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual illumination and transformation is a gift from God. It is not something we do on the basis of self-effort or unaided human reason. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and then shows us the glory and sufficiency of Jesus and his cross so that we may throw ourselves upon his mercy and believe. And so we have come full circle to where we began. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit within us moves us from obligation and constraint to continual love and desire. Obligation and constraint only take a person so far before it turns into rebellion. I should and I ought won't last because it is not grounded in the inner freedom and joy of the Spirit. It is important to love what God commands and desire what He promises because of the principle that we become what we love. What do you most love and desire? Over time, you will become like that which you love. An unruly will and misguided affections produce dire consequences, don't they? Remember Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol? He loved money and so became more and more miserly, selfish, and unloving. Then he was transformed and had a conversion of heart. He changed from I will and I must to I want and I love. In that freedom, he looked away from himself and began to care for the poor and needy around him. Remember the story of Snow White and the Wicked Queen? The Wicked Queen was the embodiment of the I must, I should disposition. She loved her own reflection in a mirror and so became more unseemly and narcissistic. By contrast, Snow White possessed a natural beauty of face and form because she unselfishly loved the creation and all who lived in it, spontaneously and with great joy and freedom. Over the years, Snow White grew increasingly beautiful because she loved the Creator and all His creatures, the animals, the birds, and the dwarves. But over time, the wicked queen grew more evil and sinister because she loved only her twisted self and the unruly wills and affections of her sinful nature. Let's ask our Heavenly Father to make us more and more people of deep, enduring love and desire rather than obligation and constraint. Let's personalize the ancient prayer for this Sunday that we began with. O Almighty God, who alone can order the unruly wills and affections of my sinful heart, grant unto me that I may love the thing which you command and desire that which you promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world, my heart may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory now and forevermore. Amen. Will you make this prayer the cry of your heart today? You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S dot O-R-G. This program, Exaltation, is designed to encourage you. Please get in touch with us by going to our website and clicking on the contact link 
contact at godatministries.org. We want to pray for you. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.